Yeah, it seems hard to believe, but next month we will celebrate our first Easter in this building. Uh, some of you were here last year, you remember, that was our target date. Remember, we were going to be in here, they told us. Uh, I remember hearing over and over again, we're going to be in here by Easter. Jim promised us we were going to be in here by Easter. And then some things happened, and you know, best laid plans of mice and men are subject to frustration, and, and so we didn't get in quite by Easter. And, but this will be our first Easter. We've been here almost a year, and uh, it's just going to be really neat. And, and you realize, this being our first Easter, this will be our last opportunity to say those magic words, we've never done it that way before. We, we get to do that one more time, and it's neat because we got some things planned for Easter. We're hopefully going to do some, some neat stuff, and so it's, it's going to be neat to see that. We, we joke about that phrase, you know, in the church. We joke about it. It's the mantra of churches. We've never done it that way before, and I'd like to think maybe it comes out of a deep desire for consistency and maybe for us just to be comfortable, you know, a desire for everything to kind of be the same rather than it coming out of a hard heart. Something that says, I'm not going to change no matter what. I, I'd like to believe that. I, I can dream anyway, right? The truth is, we like to know what happens next. We like to know where we are, what's going to happen next. We like to think that things are going to stay the same. I'm never going to get any older. Things are never going to get any worse than they are now. But that also means things aren't going to get any better than they are now. You see, that's, that's the problem. If life is already a mess then we've never done it this way before becomes a prison. And it, it, becomes a, it becomes a trap for it. And it stops being about we've never done it this way before. And it starts to be about not this again. And I don't, have to, I don't want to have to go through this one more time. I don't want to go through this again. In John chapter 4, which if you're using those Bibles in the pews, it's page 888. That's easy to find. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman who must have been at that point in her life, that not this again moment. Every day was the same. It was a prison, and it was marked by failure after failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. And in fact, she was so stuck in her failure, she was so stuck in her life, that she couldn't recognize who was standing in front of her. She couldn't recognize the offer that Jesus made to her to free her from her failure, to free her from her mistakes, to free her from her truth, and to give her life. We meet her in, <clears throat> in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus tells her that the times are changing, that a new hour is coming. And it's not just about where we worship, it's not just about how we worship. For her, it was personal. You won't be trapped in your past anymore. You won't be trapped in yourself anymore. And for us, it's a call for us to honestly look at who we are and honestly look at what it is that we bring to God when we bring ourselves. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. If that is true worship, if that describes true worshipers, then we have to ask of ourselves, how honest are we with God? I wonder if we're ever really all that honest with God about ourselves, about who we really are. It seems to be nat natural for us that when we are confronted by the holy, when we're confronted by God, we attempt to hide. We attempt to hide ourselves. We hide our sin. We hide our shame. It happened with Adam and Eve, remember? Hiding from God when they heard God walking through the garden. It happened with Cain and Abel as he as, uh, as Cain hid his brother and hid his sin. It happened with David when he took Bathsheba. He hid his sin from God. There seems to be a part of us that says, if you knew me, if you knew the truth about me, you would not want me. And when that carries over and we say that to God, if I admit the truth about who I am, God wouldn't want me. This story in, in John's Gospel, it's, it's familiar to most of us, and I wonder yet if we've really seen the truth of it. It's an encounter with someone who, if Jesus was just a man, if Jesus was just another guy, he would have never had this encounter with this woman. He would have never met her. If he was like you and me, 
he was following the proper rules of society, if he was worried about what's it going to look like, he would have never met this person. But being Jesus, he's more concerned about people. He's more concerned about truth. And so we have this story. Everything in this story shows the length that Jesus will go to to meet somebody. He is in Samaria. No good Jew would be caught dead in Samaria. That was the home of the dreaded evil Samaritans. They were half-breeds who had come out of the captivity, intermarried with other races, and, and the Jews rejected them. He is at a public well, which was not a place for men. It was a place for women to come and draw water. And on top of that, he's there in the sixth hour. He's there around noon. The women would come early in the morning when it was still cool. But she has come at noon because she's not welcome with those other women. Because they know about her sin. They know about her shame. They know her truth. And so she waits until they're all gone before she comes to draw water. And so this woman, this sinful woman, approaches and Jesus speaks to her publicly. He breaks every proper rule of society. I want you to hear this. Jesus crossed every boundary He had to to speak to this woman. He crossed every boundary He had to to speak to her. We sometimes think, you know, if I get myself cleaned up, if I get my act together, I've got to get my act together, then I can go to church. I got to get myself cleaned up. I got to get a few things taken care of. And then I will be presentable to God. I will be able to go to Jesus. And what he's showing us here is that he will come to you. He will meet you where you are. He is willing to accept you just as you are. Who is this woman? That's the problem. She doesn't want Jesus to know who she is, she doesn't want Jesus to know the truth about who she is. She says, or Jesus says to her, go back and get your husband. Go get your husband and come back to me. And she says, I don't have a husband. And what she's really saying is, if you knew the truth about me, if you knew the truth about who I am, about what I am, you wouldn't want to talk to me. You wouldn't want me. And yet Jesus, because he's Jesus, he already knows the truth, just as he already knows who we really are. Jesus wants us to come to Him in truth. We see this woman at the well, and when Jesus confronts her with, the, with her own truth, what's her response? When He says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The man you're with right now isn't even your husband. That much is true. And when He confronts her with her own truth, you know what she does? <laughs> she changes the subject. Now, let's, let's change the subject. Let's get them off on another topic. And so she, yeah, that's what we do. If we don't like the truth, we, we change the topic. And so we, we can either talk about politics, or we can talk about religion. She decides to talk about religion. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Her question for Jesus is, where can I go? Where can I go to meet God? Where can I go to worship? The Jews say you have to go to Jerusalem. You have to go to the temple. She wasn't welcome there because she was a Samaritan. By the way, you wouldn't be welcome there either. So you're a Gentile. The Jews say go to the temple. She's not allowed there. The Samaritans say go to this mountain. They had their own mountain. Which one is right? 
And so Jesus points to a future. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when those that worship God will worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. So He's not limited to Jerusalem. He's not limited to this mountain. He's not limited to that mountain. He's not limited to this place or that place. That means there is no right place to go to worship God. But it also means there's no place you can go where you can get away from God. You get that, right? If God is spirit, if God is everywhere, you can't get away from Him. You can't hide from God. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get away from God. God is spirit. So true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Your truth opened up to God. God knows your heart. He knows your secrets. He knows your truth. And you cannot keep your truth from Him. To be a true worshiper, you have to acknowledge your own truth. You have to lay it before God. That can be humbling. And that can be a devastating moment for people. That moment when you realize that the facade that you have carefully built is falling apart and that you and your truth, your lies that you have told are now laid bare before God. That moment when you realize that this thing that I have been doing to just cope, these lies that I have been telling just to get by, those aren't getting me anywhere. And I can't take one more lie, not a lie to God, not a lie to my friends, not a lie to my family, and certainly not a lie to myself. Do you know what that moment's like? Have you seen that moment? Do you know what that moment looks like? The good news that Jesus tells us here is that God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. And it's at the point of our truth, no matter how devastating our truth is, no matter how much our truth looks like failure, no matter how ashamed we are of our truth, it's there at that point of your truth that God will meet you. That's good news. It's also hard news. Because you can't lie to God. You can't fool God. You can't put on your everything's fine face. And expect God to buy that. It doesn't work on Him. He sees through it. The only question is, what are you going to do about your truth? And you know, to her credit, here in the story, the woman realizes that, that her truth, her failure, was more than she could handle. And so she says in verse 25, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. Someday, someone is coming who will explain it all to me. Who will take my truth and tell me His truth. Someone, someday is coming who will tell me how to worship, how to believe, and all the mysteries will be explained. The mysteries of ourselves. He will come with full knowledge of who we are. And Jesus responds to her and says, I who speak to you am He. And there is great promise in that truth. The woman begins to understand this promise when she realizes who Jesus is. You see, Jesus comes. He, he knows our secrets. 
He knows the secrets we won't admit to other people. He knows the secrets we won't admit to ourselves. He sees us for who we are. He sees our sin. He sees our shame. He also sees our desires. He sees our hopes. And He accepts us. And He offers us His love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And something else happens. Something else happens that the disciples will learn about later. In fact, they'll learn about it ten chapters later. Right before He leaves them. When we give ourselves to Jesus in truth, He transforms us. And He transforms our truth. And He gives us His truth. Do you remember what He says? Just ten chapters later in John chapter 14, verse 6, He says to His disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. It's as though Jesus is saying to us, give me your whole self. Give me your truth. Tell me who you are. Tell me about your sin. Tell me about the things that you are ashamed of. Tell me about your hurts. Show me the things in your life that have caused you pain. I know they hurt, and I know they cannot save you. But I will give you my truth. I will give you my truth of holiness, purity, and love, I will give you my truth so that you can come to my Father. You see, it's not about, we've never done it this way before. It's not about that. It's about coming to God. And it's about laying our lives before Him. Worship is a meeting between two. It's a meeting between you and God. Both of you opening yourselves up to the others. We cannot worship God if He hides Himself from us. And so we know that God is Spirit. He is everywhere. He cannot hide Himself from us. And we cannot worship God unless we honestly and openly lay our lives before Him. God is Spirit, so we worship in Spirit. We acknowledge who He is. And we, we're a mess. <laughs> we are sinful human beings who must lay our truth before God and say, this is who I am, Lord. I am a mess. I have screwed it all up. I come to you in my truth. See, God, God wants to know you. He wants to know who you are so that He can show you what He can do, how He can transform your life, how He can take the truth of your sinfulness and replace it with the truth of His Son's grace, how He can forgive your sin how He can forgive your truth. God's grace is greater than your truth. It's greater than the lies you've told yourself. At every point of failure in your life, God meets us. He meets you. And He forgives you. And He heals you. I want you to see what, what He did with her truth. I want you to see what else your truth can do. If you look on down in verse 28, in verse 28 it says, So the woman left her water jar, and went away to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? There's a lot of people that say that that is the first revival in the New Testament. That's the first revival in the, in the Bible in the New Testament time, which I think is great. If that's the first revival, it is among the Samaritans. It's among those who were rejected by the proper people. And it's led by a woman. <laughs> what a wonderful thing for God to do. To bring about revival through this woman. 
But did you see what she said? Come and see this man who told me everything that I ever did. Everything I did with your husbands. Everything I did to your families. Everything I ever tried to hide from you. Everything I ever tried to hide from myself. Everything I tried to hide from God. Come and see the man that told me everything that I did. She didn't hide it. She didn't deny it any longer. She told her neighbors. And they came to Jesus. So I ask you, what could he do with your truth? What could he do for your community, for your people, with your truth? Jesus says the hour is coming. And in just a few more weeks and a few more chapters, we will see that he says to the Father, the hour has come. Now glorify yourself even as I have glorified you. The hour has come. The hour is coming for glory. The hour is coming when he will glorify himself through your truth. Give him your truth and let him show you what he can do with it. The choir is going to come. We're going to sing a song that's become very meaningful to us. A song that's really a prayer for all of us. And today, if you're tired of your truth, if you're tired of everything that you've tried to hide from God and everything that you've tried to keep out from you and, and lie to yourself about, so one of the quotes I read this week, the worst lies we tell are the lies we tell ourselves. We try to pretend everything is okay. If you're tired of hiding your truth, you need us to pray with you. We want to do that. God has forgiven you. We want to forgive you. We want to love you. We want to help you with your truth. Let's stand together as we sing.